2: What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner.
1: Good morning, and thank you for joining us this morning. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today is Ray Ringel, a colleague, a friend, and an inspiration to me. Uh, Ray is also an instructor here at the Institute for Transformational Leadership. She is on the faculty of our Leadership Coaching Certificate Program, and she also has created our new Certificate in Facilitation and Design. Uh, Ray is a talented facilitator whose insights about facilitation and about not only the process. Of convening people and conversations, but actually who you are as a leader and as a, um, a holder of space, we might say, for others, very much part of how she's designed her program. Today, we're going to be focusing on a conversation with Ray about what's happening in this new certificate at Georgetown University and what you might want to know, especially if you're doing facilitation or even considering coming to our program here at Georgetown. Good morning, Ray, and welcome. Thank you, Kate. Ray, I'm so glad you're here, and I like to always start this show by giving people a chance to give a little bit of their background and tell us um, how did you become a master facilitator? What drew you to this work? Well, my
0: background really is in organizational behavior. I was fascinated by the ways that people work and the human capital side of business in general. So my career started off in the space of training and teaching tactical leadership skills to managers and to leaders of all sorts of different kinds of organizations, which then turned into um, more coaching work of working with people one-on-one on their specific goals and helping them to create a leadership trajectory for themselves in organizational life. And all along the way, I found myself gathering people, teaching in settings of meetings and board retreats and gatherings and conferences and just started really stepping outside and observing how these gatherings were unfolding, where people were excited, where people were lacking energy, and just became really fascinated with the ways that we bring people together and how we might do it differently to get more out of the experience. So I began studying and practicing really the art of facilitation which helped me to not only design different kinds of ways that people come together, but think differently about how you actually facilitate the
1: experience as the person standing in front of the room. Thank you. You know, I love your answer because it reminds me of how thoughtful and creative you are. I've seen you in action, Ray, in many different kinds of gatherings and meetings. And what really stood out to me, I think the first time I watched you, Um, convening a group was how committed you are to creating a great experience for the people in the room. And I think that there are many reluctant facilitators out there, people who are called upon to lead meetings and, um, you know, convene important conversations, but haven't really had a whole lot of training and uh, may not love it as much as you do. And I'm curious, what is it that you love about facilitation?
0: Oh, I love so many things about facilitation. First of all, I just love the energy of... Having people in a room together, I find with all the technology and devices, we are increasingly more isolated and behind screens and doing a lot more virtual learning, uh, which definitely has its place. But I'm old school in the fact that I love human beings in a room together working off the energy of one another and actually in the room trying to be as low-tech as possible so that people can really talk to each other. So that is my first and foremost Favorite thing is just my love of people in general and then having them come together trying to remove all distractions so that they can really connect with one another and learn together and from one another. The second thing I would say that I love about facilitation is just the unpredictable nature of it all. That you can really spend a lot of time designing the right kind of meeting and the right kind of experience and do all of your background research and interviews and homework to get the right agenda in place. And yet when you walk into the room, you realize within the first couple of minutes that this room might actually need something else at this particular moment in time. And how do you take a deep breath in that moment and turn your agenda over and be ready to cross unchartered lands and be truly in service to your participants and go where they need to go? And that can be the scariest part of facilitation, and it also, to me, can be the most thrilling.
1: Thank you for that. That rings very true to me, that um, there's what we plan and then there's what happens. And uh, I've I've heard you talk about that as well. I think we'll return to that later in our conversation. But just for those listening, I'd love to give them some dimensions of the facilitation certificate program. And maybe you could talk for a moment about... um, design of the program itself great
0: we found that a lot of a lot of different training that happens out in the facilitation world is either as a facilitator how you communicate and have presence and lead a room or it's around the design of facilitation or it's around how to manage teams and groups and the dynamics that come up and what we really wanted to do with the design of this certificate is create a holistic program that addresses all of those content areas because they're all integrated in terms of how to approach facilitation. So that's exactly what we did. The certificate is broken down into three distinct sections. The first section, what we're calling being a facilitator, is really around you as a person presenting in the room. It's about communication, it's about presence, it's about listening, it's about managing the room. And that's relevant for any person in organizational life who's running a two hour meeting to someone who is presenting in front of thousands of people and everything in between. It's really about the presence and the communication and those skills as a facilitator. The second aspect of the program is really focus on design. And the design piece is something that most people don't realize. Most of the success of facilitation is actually what happens before you even step into the room. It's this very mindful and conscious approach to how do you understand what the organization or group of people needs and create a relevant and exciting design for the facilitation. So it's going to be the study of something called wireframing and creating an arc uh, and creating objectives and doing a stakeholder map to understand who's going to be in the room. It's also a deep dive on what we call facilitation modalities, which are new ways of, of gathering people and having them talk to one another. So it's really the creating the scaffolding and the architecture of any kind of gathering. And finally, the last module of the certificate is a capstone experience, which will focus on teams and groups and understanding what happens to people when they come together to learn for better and for worse. So really understanding what you're seeing in the room and maybe even what you're not seeing in the room. And the last module will also be a capstone experience where we will culminate all the learning that's happened over the course of the program to do a very extensive practicum where people will be able to not only present a design Of a facilitation, but to actually facilitate in front of faculty and peers, and get both appreciative and
1: developmental feedback. Thank you. That sounds very robust. And um, you know, one of some you know, there are a few reasons at, at the Institute for Transformational Leadership we've decided to go forward with the creation of this certificate. We think that you're bringing something unique, Ray. We think that first of all, lots of people are out there facilitating with little to no training or real understanding of what what facilitation is all about. And so we think that just offering this certificate course is going to give people the confidence and the perspective that they need, as well as some tools and strategies for being very effective um, as facilitators. But I think beyond that, there are some unique dimensions to your program. Uh, One of them is that you're actually going to be teaching people Um, how to think about the role that they play as the facilitator in terms of what happens at the event or in the room. In other words, um, what does your presence as a facilitator contribute to the dynamics of the meeting or the, the gathering, and how can you become conscious and purposeful about the presence you bring versus just sort of showing up to do the job? You know, so that's one piece we think is really special about your program. And then I think the other part is you mentioned this sort of practicum. And by practicum, all of our certificate programs here at the Institute have very interesting and creative practicums. And by practicum, we really mean a learning experience where participants actually get to practice what they're learning and have an opportunity to be reflective about it. And also get feedback. And I want to just say for the sake of those listening that we see feedback as a um, kind of a learning loop. Like, you know, you do something and then the feedback comes back to you. It loops back. You learn from it and you try again. In other words, um, it's not about getting an A the first time or not making mistakes. It's actually about having a rich, um, fun Experience where you're learning by doing and you're really making it your own and so I want to having, having scoped out a couple of those dimensions that we think are very special there's one other thing you haven't mentioned which is um, modalities you know and I know Ray that you and your colleagues have created um, an original book of uh, sort of um, how to around particular kinds of facilitations. Could you say a little bit about that? Sure. I find that the way that people
0: are designing experiences and gatherings, we rely on some of the old modalities around panels and breakout sessions and lecture or maybe maybe integrating some modalities with music and film. And and those are wonderful, especially if you are integrating them and mixing them up. We have found that there are many new modalities that serve as great catalysts for conversation. and ways to get people thinking and collaborating in new ways. So modalities such as open space and World Cafe and adaptive case studies and asset mapping um, and Samoan circles. And there are, are probably about 10 to 15 modalities that we're going to be teaching people in this program as ways to fill up their toolbox and help them with the design of their gatherings. What's going to be really important in our program as well, though, is whether the modalities are traditional or more untraditional, we are also going to be having lab time where we're going to be pushing our students to design their own modalities and their own original works. so that our workbook is an evolutionary process and something that we hope to keep adding to as our students are going to be designing some of their own new original modalities that are going to be relevant for
1: the constituents with whom they're working. Thank you. That's that's a great description, and I know that you know. I've had the opportunity to learn from you and to see that set of modalities very, um, very well done, very rich. You know, for anyone who's thinking about uh, what you might take away from this program, I think that 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 alone is a reason to enroll. Um, what I'd like to actually ask you about is. Um, you know, why, I, I, I feel so enthusiastic about your program and I know how good it's going to be, but I imagine there are people out there who are thinking, I'm actually pretty good at this. You know, I'm not sure I need this. You know, why take time to be trained in facilitation? Mm. Great question.
0: I think that there is no one in the professional workspace who is not gathering people in some way or another. It might even be, having three people in your office for a daily huddle, that we are increasingly, our workspace and our our work situations are calling upon us to be much more collaborative. And so it would really serve anyone who is in the position to be bringing people together. Um, The thing that's going to be also unique about this program where I think really people would benefit is... The underlying principle of this program is ultimately around presence and having a professional presence. So the skills that we're going to be working on around communication and handling conflict and deep listening are those basic and critical communication skills that people need to use both in their workplace and in life in general that is at the heart and soul of facilitation. We also are stretching really big in this program to help people deepen their competencies around these skills. So, for example, if we're talking about listening in the room, we're also going to be talking about what I call peripheral listening or a peripheral vision, meaning how do you hear what's going on in the room and how do you also at the same time hear what's not being said? How do you do more global listening in the room to potentially surface issues that are not being spoken at the moment but are alive and existing in the room? And I think we all know, based on being participants in meetings and retreats and conferences, that you have the conversation that you're hearing and that you're experiencing, and then you're having all the conversation that's actually not being said, that's not being spoken but is living and is definitely having an impact on the room, even though it's not spoken. So how can we train facilitators to have the confidence and the skill to help surface some of the real issues that are going on in the room that really need to be surfaced, but aren't actually being articulated in that live moment?
1: Thank you. You know, that's, um, that's a great question. And, and it, what occurs to me as I listen to you talk about it is um, that facilitation requires some courage. You know, there are many of us who would love to never surface those difficult issues. So the thought of learning not only how to see it when it's happening, but actually how to have the confidence and the, the process to bring it into the room and, you know, have the conversation that needs to be had. Very important. And that's why, the, that's why the practicum is so important, not
0: only to be practicing these things in a safe space, but the way that ITL designs its executive education programs are uh, doing, having space in between each module. One of the, one of the flaws I see sometimes in, in gathering design is the people who come are so inspired and they learn all these new skills and, and all these new distinctions, and then they go back to work and no one... No one else has been at that experience, and no one else is seeing it from that vantage point. So this is an opportunity where, where you come and you do deep learning with your cohort, and then we send you off for five weeks to practice in your real world with your teams, with your supervisors, to try things on, to take a bunch of risks, and then come back to Georgetown and come back to that kind of safe space to play it back and to get some coaching and feedback, and then we send you out again. So there's this constant integration of what you're learning as opposed to isolation.
1: You know, that's so important, the opportunity to learn and try, come back, learn more, get feedback, go back, right? That's what makes this um, far more than a going to a couple-day training program. Yeah. Listen, we're going to take a break right now. My guest is Ray Ringel. She is the founder of our new Certificate in Facilitation and Design here at Georgetown University and the Institute for Transformational Leadership. I'm Kate Ebner, and when we come back from the break, we're going to dig into a bit more about the um, special features of the program, and actually, I'd love, Ray, to be talking about design when we come back. We'll be right back.
2: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms@georgetown.edu. at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
1: Welcome back. I'm talking this morning with Ray Ringel, a master facilitator who's also um, the designer, creator, and visionary for our new certificate in facilitation and design here at Georgetown University at the Institute for Transformational Leadership. And, you know, Ray, you and I were talking before the break about the program itself and, you know, the three modules and what people will learn and, and why, and I'd love to just pick up with what you call wireframing or, um, you know, sort of the heart of the design piece. I've had the chance to watch you in action, but also to do some planning with you and some design work with you. And I think what really has stood out to me is how much thought and creativity and structure really goes into creating an event that might actually feel very spontaneous and very um, open to the participants who were there so I think that some of that magic of facilitation lives in the design step. And I would love to hear you talk for a moment about um, what facilitators really need to know about design. Great. The most important thing they need to know about design is to
0: actually do it, that this is not about throwing everything up against the wall and, and, and seeing what sticks. The, the word wireframing actually comes out of the technology world about how designers build home pages and navigation systems of what goes where in a website and what draws the eye in and what needs to be bigger and what needs to be smaller. So it's the same thing when it comes to gatherings, is thinking about what pieces need to be accentuated and amplified, what pieces can be smaller, where is the energy of the room or the time of day or environmental factors that are going to impact the learner. And you're taking in a full view of what your objectives are for the gathering and then putting in the moving pieces in a way that have tight segues and good flow and really are mindful of the energy of the group. Um, I would say the most important thing that I learned many 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 years ago, well maybe maybe not that many years ago in graduate school, <laughs> is, is something called the ABC objectives and this, these are any objectives that are, are used when you're dealing with how adults learn it's thinking about the A is how do you want people to feel? What's the A effective objective? The B is behavioral. How, what do you want people to be able to do? And the C is the cognitive, which is what you want people to understand. So before even doing any of the wireframing, you have to really get alignment with your stakeholders or with your clients or with participants around how do you want them to feel, what do you want them to know, and what do you want them to be able to do? And it sounds so basic, and yet it's actually the deepest work that's done with facilitation is to make sure that you are crystal clear on those objectives. And once those objectives are set and you know who's going to be in the room, then you can start the process of design of thinking about what are the best ways to deliver this content so that it will land and people can learn it and they can practice it and they can engage with it, and then they can take it back out with them into the world. Um, that's where the modalities come in. So it's this process of really understanding who's going to be in the room and who do they impact, what are the actual objectives, and then how do you literally take all the different moving parts and put them in a, in a, in a format that has flow, that has good energy, that delivers different kinds of modalities to respect different kind of learning styles there are some people who need to use their hands when they learn. There are some people who like to read or reflect. There are some people who need to move around, work in small groups, work in big groups. How do you then create the right design that is going to resonate in the biggest way
1: for the people who are attending the gathering? Thank you. And, you know, the word design, I think, is where we sort of take facilitation to the next level. And for those of you who are natural facilitators, maybe you have some gifts at bringing people together, but you've sort of been winging it. This is your chance. I think in this particular program is a real opportunity to learn how to um, how to use these three questions that Ray has just been describing, and then create um, sort of a plan or a design for the for the event or the meeting that will come out in the way that you want it to. And I think one of the things that I've seen, Ray, and watching you work is that there's so much excitement that people have when the design is right and it feels good to participate because it's set up for success. And, you know, I'd love for a moment to, if you could just share what you see as kind of the facilitator-designer's mindset. Like, what's that designer thinking about as they're contemplating those, the answers to those three questions? Just great. I think, well, first of all,
0: uh, one of the things I always tell people when they they complete these courses and facilitation is I congratulate them on becoming designers. That's not, there are many, many people in the world who would not identify as a designer because we think that has to deal with some sort of art and they might not self-identify as an artist. But this work is artistry. It is about curating an experience for people. Just like an artist Curates an exhibit, there's still hundreds of paintings back in the storage room that are not coming out. So you have to really be thoughtful about what are the pieces of work that we're putting on the wall and why did we make those choices when there are so many other choices that we could make. So anyone who is practicing facilitation should really see themselves as a designer. And I would say for me, the mindset my own personal mindset as a facilitator is I think we spend a lot of time thinking about the behavioral and cognitive objective. What do we want people to know and what do we want them to do? I'm actually hugely interested in the emotional side of this and how do we want people to feel? Because in my experience, people learn best and do best when they feel good. So when you're coming to my gatherings, you are laughing You are having a good time. You are feeling good because that's what sticks with people. So even if you're delivering tough content or you're delivering, you're having a retreat that's based on a big upcoming organizational change that's going to create anxiety or what I like to call productive discomfort, how can we create a situation where people are feeling good and grounded and motivated so that the learning will stick? So my personal mindset is I'm really mindful on the full experience of the participant as opposed to a checklist of what they need to learn or know how to do by the time they leave.
1: And you know, I, I go back to the words that we use when we talk about facilitation at the Institute. We use the word convene, to convene people, or we use the word gather, to gather, gathering, to gather people. And I find that we're reaching to create a vocabulary that gives um, variety and importance to this important work of conversation. And I, I really like to listen to you, Ray, talk about this because I think the care and attention that you believe a facilitator must bring to a gathering, to a convening, so that the experience is what people really intended it to be um, it, it's quite distinctive and I it forces us to slow down and understand the power and the importance of the time we spend together, especially time when we need to talk and listen mm-hmm. with each other. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that some of the people who come to our program will come because not they may not intend to be a professional facilitator, but they may be a leader, somebody who is every single day gathering people or hosting a meeting and who's really wanting new ways to think about that. Do you think a leader who isn't necessarily a professional facilitator would
0: benefit from your program? Oh, definitely. One of my favorite books out there in the field is a book by Patrick Lencioni called Death by Meeting, and I love it so much because I just think it has a great title. Mm -hmm. Um, We are continuously finding ourselves in meetings gatherings and meetings that people leave feeling frustrated and feel like it wasn't a good use of their time. So any leader in any position who is bringing their people together on a regular basis would benefit because they would leave knowing having a new style and a new approach to how to gather their people, even if it's for a weekly tactical or a monthly strategic, it would give them a new mindset and a whole bag of new tools to get more out of their people. Um, There was a book many years ago written by the author Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone, and it was all about the, the phenomenon of diminishing social capital, that people are not getting together enough. The place where that's socially, the place where that's not true is actually in organizational life, where we're bringing people together all the time, which is the other end of the spectrum. We're bringing together all the time without enough intentional purpose or agenda setting or enough good feelings so that people come to resent when they're coming together or gathering because they feel like it's taking them away from their work. The real work in organizational life should be when people are together, not when they're isolated and alone behind their computers. And I just don't think that we're doing a good enough job of bringing people together in an intentional way and getting the most out of them and getting the most productive and creative and generative work in groups and teams.
1: That's a very powerful point, you know, and I... I think about that contrast between um, organizational life and private life, and I think you're right. You know, We're constantly being asked to come together in organizational life, and yet how much thought, design, creativity, um, skill are we really bringing to those, um, to those meetings and those gatherings? I want to talk for a moment about um, conflict, You know, I I myself have facilitated many a meeting where there's something difficult that someone needs to say or a topic where there's divergent viewpoints and we don't know how to get from, you know, uh, this this sort of surfacing our different points of view to actually creating some resolution. Uh, What can facilitators learn about how to entertain and move through conflict? I think it goes back
0: to the confidence piece. You know, it, it, when you see conflict bubbling up, there are facilitators who will just bypass it and go on a detour to not address it, uh, and then there are facilitators who will name what they're sensing and what they're seeing in the room and then think about shifting course to deal with the conflict. The real question is what's going to be in the best service to the room. So, for example it might actually be appropriate to not address the conflict in that moment because the room is not ready for it. More cases than not, what I have found is if the facilitator names what they're starting to see in the room and asks permission of the room to try and address it and unpack it. Not only can it create all sorts of openings in the room, but it really elevates the credibility of the facilitator because the group sees That the facilitator understands what's happening in the room and is not trying to just put blinders on and move on with their agenda. So it creates a certain kind of trust and credibility uh, in terms of viewing the facilitator because they are willing to address and move with the conflict. Not always that easy. I would say the other piece of this that's important that we talk about in our program also is we have a module that's called The Joy of Working with People, and it's a, it's a sarcastic name because we, we see that there's a cast of characters that always show up when we're doing any sort of facilitation, and it's a, a deep exploration in this module around the different kinds of personalities and different kinds of behaviors that we see show up in the room time and time again. And as a facilitator, there are actually strategic approaches that you can use to address these behaviors, to turn people around, to acknowledge them, to see them, to delay them. And so we really explore what are these behaviors that we keep seeing time and time again. And as a facilitator, how can we, in a respectful and in a strong way, manage those behaviors in real time?
1: I love this portion of your work. And I think that it's a relief to anyone to understand these behaviors as a cast of characters that always shows up because I think it helps us um, step away from being shocked and alarmed and fearful that it might show up to more understanding that okay this is typical this is what happens and now I understand more about what to do or how to handle it when when some of these behaviors happen what are a couple examples of the behaviors that show up
0: oh wow okay well we have, um, <clears throat> well, I love the backseat driver. We have the backseat driver who, in is really what I call trying to do a non-hostile takeover of the facilitator, which is constantly trying to change the process and name how we should be doing it different in the room. And you never want to call someone out in real time or, or throw them under the bus, but there's a real opportunity to, um, at a break, pull this person over and, and really hear them out and try and understand what's behind this power of suggestion for moving in a different direction. That's a good one. Yeah. We've got the dropout. Um, the dropout is doodling, slash writing, typing, daydreaming. It can be as big as actually talking on the phone, not realizing that they're in the middle of a room full of people. Um, just really checked out and pres- not present. And so there, in the case of the dropout, when someone's wandering off, there's certain things that you can do in terms of moving your body and your proximity to that person and other ways of managing the group participation or changing the modality so the dropout actually has to participate. So you're changing it to everyone in the group participates or this quadrant of the room participates so the dropout cannot actually opt out of the room. Um, There are... um, so. We've got the backseat driver, we've got the dropout. We've um, One of the ones that I've been coming up against recently is the people who have been with the organization or the company for many, many, many years. And so they're constantly talking about the past and the way that it was and the way that things were. And there, there's an opportunity through communication uh, to help them realize the power of moving their domain of time of taking someone who has, who's really entrenched in the past and has incredible institutional memory and inviting them to dream about the future or envision what a new future can look like. And so there's a way of actually empowering the old-timer to bring them forward and get them to partner with you to envision what a new future could look like. So some of the tools are around how do you actually approach the person who's acting out what do you do with your body? What do you do with your communication and your kinds of questions? And so we explore all of these interventions to deal with the cast
1: of characters. I, you know, what I remember in uh, watching you teach this piece is how much fun people had with it, and also, again, what a relief it really is to realize, oh, it doesn't mean I'm a bad facilitator that these people, these behaviors, are showing up. This is. This is sort of typical stuff, and so let me, you know, develop some confidence and some strategies and keep my sense of humor while managing through some of these um, challenging behaviors.
0: Yeah, and people tend to take on roles when they come in groups and teams, whether they choose those roles or they're assigned to them. You've got your opener, you've got your closer, you've got your devil's advocate, you've got your, you know, You've got the the pile honor, the person who always says, "I'd like to echo what Kate said," or "I'd like to piggyback on what Kate said," and, and we do an exploration of some of the ways that um, that people tend to show up in meetings, and uh, we do an exploration for our participants about how they show up. Because one of the outgrowths of teaching facilitation is not only to make you better facilitators, but we want we want our participants to become better consumers of facilitation. We want them to become better participants in their meeting and more more aware participants, not just when they're in the front of the room on the microphone, but for them actually being a person in the room, how can they show up better and what's their role in contributing
1: to this being a successful meeting? Thank you so much, Ray. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, I want to talk about presence and what it means to develop your presence as a facilitator. And I think we're going to have a great conversation. Thank you so much. We'll be right back.
2: The Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward ITL. Email programs at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now toll free, 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
1: I'm talking today with Ray Ringel, the director of our new certificate in facilitation at Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. And we've been having a fascinating conversation about the power of facilitation, what it is what you might learn if you come to our course, our new certificate that kicks off in 2016 here, and also I think really, Ray, having a chance to kind of hear you think out loud about uh, what people need to know and understand and get comfortable with if they want to be facilitators. And I would love to um, to talk a little bit about how a facilitator creates that magic in the room you know, and, and what does one's presence, have to do with that, you know, and, and I, I think that um, but one of the things that makes this particular program unique, maybe the first of its kind, we believe it is, is that you're not just teaching the what to do, you're also teaching the how to be as a facilitator. Tell us about the facilitator's presence and, and how that contributes. I think that one of the
0: things that is so important about facilitator's presence is to immediately establish a rapport and connection with people in the room. And I think one of the best ways to do that actually is to tell people how you are going to spend their time well and really laying out what is this this experience going to look like, what are they going to get out of it, and how will their time be spent well. Because people show up from a defensive stance as if this meeting or this gathering is taking them away from something else they need to do or somewhere else they want to be. So when you show up with a lot of, confidence and, uh, and a lot of warmth and a spirit of appreciation that we appreciate that you are actually here doing this and your time will be spent well. It allows people to kind of take a deep breath and allows them to be really present. Um, I think that the next piece that's really important about presence is to establish for people that everyone will be heard. And that is that tends to be very important for participants to let them know that they will be heard. So that happens throughout the experience, but it also happens in ways of making sure that you're calling on different kinds of people, making sure if there isn't time to get to all their questions, you set up what we call a parking lot to write down their ideas or write down their name that you will get back to them, and to really show them that being in this room is the only thing that matters right now to the facilitator, that you are there to be in service to them. I have a couple of tricks that I do for that. Um, first and foremost, as, as a facilitator, I never stand behind a table. I never stand behind a podium. I never stand behind a table. I physically bring myself closer to the audience to show them that I am with them and I don't want to have any barrier between them. I also really let them know the roadmap. map. In terms of where we're going with this experience, when they're going to have breaks, that they're going to be able to check their devices, that they're going to be able to eat, that they're going to be well taken care of, uh, and to show them that that first and foremost, in my mind, is their experience, and to really let them know that we're caring about their experience. Um, And then finally, the last thing I do right out from the start is to establish with them how, how much I've learned about them already, that I've done my homework, that I've learned about their organization, I've learned about their needs and what they want. And so I'm coming in prepared for them and I'm also coming in prepared for what I can't be prepared for. In other words, there, you can't learn it all before you step into the room and you have to be willing to be open to what's surfacing in real time and often do some real pivoting in there in the moment to be able to move in a direction that the room needs to move you into. So I find that showing up with humility, with a sense of humor, articulating that uh, you are ready for this and you're ready for the unexpected, I find it helps establish a great presence in the room. So we're going to practice those things in our program, and then we're going to also give you some tools to work with when you step back out into the world. Again, those tools of peripheral vision and how to really sense what's going on in the room and how to have the confidence to be ready for the unexpected.
1: Now, Ray, you use this word pivot. And, I, you know, I've been facilitating for decades. I feel like maybe I'm in second grade or something. But when I think about the challenges I feel I face as a facilitator... I think that, you know, all that prep, right, all that design, all that planning, all that collaboration with your client or with your colleagues, you know, and then you get into the room and what's happening isn't what we thought was going to happen, and there's a the need to do this thing you call pivot. And to me, that's one of the most um, challenging and potentially inspiring moments a facilitator can bring is understanding how to pivot. And I know for myself, I sometimes feel the, the, almost like a loyalty to what we said we were going to do and a need to figure out a process for letting something different happen. And I wonder if you could just say for a moment, you know, given the expectations of, let's just say, a client or a, um, a, a lot of stakeholders that, that we get to a particular outcome or we make sure we have a particular discussion, what are some tips on pivoting?
0: Uh, it's, Probably the hardest competency, and you're, and you're right, it's, it's really the juice of facilitation, is how do you hold all these needs and objectives while moving to where the room needs to move you to. There's a couple of tactics that you can use in pivoting, which is around how much, uh, how much of the decision is made by the facilitator to move in a different direction or how much of that just has to be on consensus and really asking permission and bringing the room in in that moment to help them design their own agenda. So. We're going to talk about that and what's the best approach to actually do the pivoting. But I would say that it's actually about really in the moment seeing if what is surfacing can be overcome quickly to move back to the agenda. Or if the voices are so loud and there's so many of them in the room who, let's say, are articulating resistance or making a request for a different direction It is really in that moment using your gut to say, we're not going to be able to get to the original outcome intended unless we address this issue, unless we address this issue that actually we could keep going, we could extend this gathering for three more days. We're not going to get to the outcome until we successfully address and overcome this hurdle. And so that is the concept of pivoting. It's about moving and the and the sister competency to pivoting is what we call retrofitting, where you have to retrofit your time now. You had your perfectly curated agenda with, with you know with fifteen minute intervals in it where you have to shift your time in the real moment to be able to tend to this new issue that's coming up. So we're gonna practice that. We're actually gonna put people into simulations where they're moving in the one direction, forced to move in another direction, and really work with people on the language that they're using? Are they making a request to move in a different direction or are they making an offer to move in a different direction? How do each of those land? And then how do you retrofit your time to deal with those issues? So we're going to do some real-time lab work around that. Ray,
1: you've often described facilitation as an art. And you, to me, what you just said really um, illuminates why it is an art, that you know, you, you, it's about learning uh, a range of movements combining that, it sounds like, with your your intuition, your gut, your, your instincts, your, your listening ear um, to figure out what best serves this room, this group, this agenda, this set of stakeholders, you know, at, at this particular moment. And with all of that, I hear in you almost like a detachment, like your commitment to this service, to being in service to this group of people, trumps everything, right? So you're letting go of you know, that beautifully crafted and curated design and you're really staying with where people are. And that way it reminds me of coaching. We talk in our leadership coaching program about teaching our coaches how to meet people where they are and it sounds like there's some overlap actually in the facilitation process. What do you think? I think there absolutely is and I think that,
0: you know, it's funny. Now we've told you you're, a facilitator is a designer and an artist and a dancer <laughs> it 's a very creative it 's a very creative art I think that 's absolutely right it's um, on the it 's an interesting dimension because on the one hand you 're so present and on the other hand you 're almost out of body with it and One of the things I, I like to say when i when I get into the room, I was just facilitating a class last week on leadership presence, and what uh, what you can find in my bio, which we haven 't said already is I have four kids under the age of eleven. So when I show up in a room to facilitate at 9 a.m., what's happened in my universe between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., I'm just trying to survive that. Mm-hmm. So there are very particular practices that I need to do before I to prepare myself to facilitate, to leave that whole world and my personal life and anything else that's on my mind to actually be fit and ready to facilitate. How do I ask, how do I as a facilitator become that present when I have a whole world going on in my mind. So that's a part of this too, is this readiness and this fitness to facilitate so that you can almost detach from the other part of your life to be the person who you need to be and who that room needs you to be in that moment of time. And it's extremely empowering and I find inspiring to be able to step out in that role to just be fully committed and present to another group of people, whether
1: that's for 30 minutes, three hours, or three days. Yeah, thank you for sharing that personal story as well, because I think, you know, some people listening might be, um, you know, intimidated even think, listening to us talk about sort of the, the the possible levels of skill to really facilitate. And there's something about thinking about you managing you know, the send-off in the morning of four, four younger people uh, in your life and then getting to where you need to be and then showing up with this kind of presence. I think um, it's, it's humbling and inspiring, actually, to hear you bring it into that context because I think, I think when we are choosing to facilitate, we really are bringing a service and to be um, ready for it, you know, emotionally and mentally and physically every, every time we sign up to do it. That's a commitment. Yeah. And I think that, that in learning this, it helps people show up uh, in different
0: ways at work all around. So if you are a manager or a leader, and even if you're just leading your weekly meetings, what's your practice from the walk from your office door down to the meeting room? That might be a 45-second walk. What's your practice? What are you doing to get ready to walk in and lead that meeting? So it's everything that you've done beforehand to set an agenda and to, you know, think about what you want to accomplish in the meeting. And then it comes down to you and what is your practice. And that does not mean that you need to bring a lava lamp and incense into your office and meditate. It might just be a question that you ask yourself or a deep breath or a stretch, or you might you might be someone who needs to chug a Red Bull. You know, everyone has their own practices, but I'm really interested in helping people be more prepared for conversation and for group gathering.
1: You know, we only have two minutes left, Ray, and I know that you are surrounded by very talented colleagues who are also teaching in this program. Could you just say a brief word about who will be co-teaching with you? Yes, great. I have two
0: wonderful colleagues. I have Jonathan Gordas, who's based in Vancouver, and Maya Bernstein, who's based in New York, who are both master, master facilitators and practitioners and they bring different sets of distinctions. They both bring deep design background. Um, They bring a lot of experience with organizational change work, so they really understand how to move systems and systems of people along a change continuum. And they also both bring uh, expertise in the area of leadership, adaptive leadership, really learning about what, what stimulates leaders, what helps bring leaders along the continuum. So they're both in their own, they're very unique in their own ways, and they both bring a set of distinctions around what does it mean to actually bring people together, and how do you actually bring groups and teams to the next level. So I just think that it is a dream team faculty, they both bring such innovation and are exceptional teachers of this craft, which I think will really add so much to the program.
1: You know, Ray, as we wrap up, people may want to go to the website to register or to read, learn more about this particular course and the opportunity to work with these faculty. Uh, where should they go? They should go to
0: the website, which is under in the Institute for Transformational Leadership uh, for Georgetown University. And there is a section that is dedicated to the certificate programs, and they will find the link right there. It's called the Certificate and Facilitation.
1: Great. And I know that we welcome beginners, intermediates, and advanced. You know, for those of you listening who are wondering if this is for you, you know, as I said before, I've been doing this a long time, Ray, and I learn from you every single time I have the opportunity to be a part of something that you're doing, and I know that faculty are bringing distinctions and perspectives that, um, that all of us are going to benefit from. And I hope people will go to the website and con- look at the description, consider registering for this course. Our inaugural kickoff starts the last day of February, 2016. There we go. Thank you very much for being with us today. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest, Ray Ringel, is the director of our brand-new, very exciting, and innovative certificate and facilitation at the Institute for Transformational Leadership. Thank you very much. Have a great week.
2: Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.